This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, stackers. It's me, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. I know you can't see me in the dark, but oh man, oh, today's show is going to be awesome. We're welcoming in the Roaring Twenties by converting the basement into a speakeasy. No, now, uh, it, it, if I only could remember the password, whenever I got really important stuff I got to remember, I put it in super secret spot where the sun don't shine, you know what I mean? So I got to find that. You know, it doesn't even matter because uh, I, I know the doorman. It's good old Len Penzo. Hopefully Len doesn't know about all the flack I give him on the show. He won't give me a hard time. He's going to let me in. Hola. Password, man. Hey, Len. It's neighbor Doug. Who? Len, it's Doug. Neighbor Doug. Come on, man. It's freezing out here. And Joe's mom told me I didn't need the password anyway. It's just open the door. Hey, sorry, man. You know, I love you and all, but, but I was given strict orders by Joe's mom to get the password before anybody gets by. Remember what happened last year? Don't These let These guys in. are serious. This party's out of control. You would, Len. It's so Len. Paula's downing root beer like there's no tomorrow and popping those fizzy things from the 80s you put under your tongue. Can't believe I got stuck with you instead of Greg McFarlane. This password, it's got to be somewhere where they're... Oh, I remember. Hey, Len, take a look at this. Is this your password? Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you can't unsee that. Here goes. Live from Joe's mom's basement speakeasy, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. Today, to kick off the Roaring Twenties, we welcome New York Times bestselling author of The Book of Awesome and The Happiness Equation, one of the most popular TED speakers in the world, Neil Pasricha. Plus, we'll throw down about the five most common New Year's resolutions, and of course, I'll save room for my amazing trivia. And now, two guys who are partying like it's 1999, it's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-G. Let me be the first to welcome you to the Roaring Twenties, the speakeasy that is a podcast. I am Joe Salci, hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter, and across the card table from me, wearing his flapper dress, it's Mr. OG. 
Is it a podcast that's a speakeasy or is it a speakeasy that's a podcast? Meta. Why, why does that to be either or? It could be both. And today we are sampling the world's greatest coffee. Pull up a chair, kids, because you're about to be entertained uh, here in the basement. Man, we got a great show. Neil Peshrika is here. Check this out. You are awesome. What a gr- Thank you. I am awesome. Oh, you are. <laughs> yes, you are awesome, OG. But so is that person listening to us speak right now. Neil Pashrika is here. We got a great show to kick off the Roaring Twenties. What's your big plan for the Roaring Twenties? Figured I'd get a little older, get a little wiser. I have no idea what my plan is. <laughs> I'm trying to make it through today, man. My plan... You know that piece of my portfolio that's my sandbox, my individual stocks? My plan is to learn more about that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I already know a bunch about that. But my plan is to continue to develop that part of my portfolio. That Have so much that little money piece. that you have a bigger sandbox. It's like buying a McMansion. Exactly. Yes. Where five with per- a Tesla out front. Where 5% of my portfolio is so much money. Still so much money. Absolutely. By the way, big thanks to Motley Fool for supporting Stacking Benjamins. Motley Fool Stock Advisor provides two stock recommendations every month to kickstart your 2020 financial goals. Motley Fool offers five of their favorite stock picks for free at fool.com forward slash SB. We got a great show today. Motley Fool on board for people working on their sandbox. OG. Love it. Great resource for your sandbox money. We got Neil Pashrika here today, but first we're going to kick off this decade with some awesome headlines. So let's get the party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Speaking of The Motley Fool, our first piece comes to us from The Motley Fool blog, Maury Bachman. How many times have we done Maury Bachman's pieces? I think probably 9,000. There's a few. 9,001. Is it 9,001 now? That's right. Here are Americans' top five financial resolutions for 2020. The top five, according to The Motley Fool. You ready for these? Bring it. Maury says, there's nothing like the beginning of a new year, new decade, Maury. Come on. To rethink your financial circumstances and make plans to change them for the better. Here are Americans' top five money resolutions for 2020, according to a recent survey by Principal Financial. All these are worthwhile goals. Pays to consider adding them to your list. Let's see if we want to add these to our list. Number one, the number one goal, save more money every month. I don't know about you, OG, but I love that goal. It's one of the very few things that you can actually control right out the gate. And you've talked about this before. When you meet with with clients, just say, hey, let's raise your savings by X amount. And I don't know about you. When I would do this, people are like, I don't know if I have the money. I'm like, you know what? Let's make it automatic. Let's just try it out and see. And you can call me at any time and we will lower it back down. We'll, we'll just have a quick powwow and then we'll make the call and lower it back down. And not Very even, rarely do you get a call back. Yep. Yeah. You can't do it unless you try. And saving money more every month and making it automatic by just upping the number a little bit? Yeah, 1%. David Chilton. We got to get David Chilton on, by the way. You know, the wealthy barber guy, the Canadian. David Chilton says, that's how I identify people. You know, the Canadian. (laughs) David, David Chilton says, and I can't do it in his accent. Okay, let's save more money, Derek. That's great. That's exactly like it. Every Canadian's going to write into me now. 
or or we'll get a review. Joe says unkind things about Canadians. I love Canadians, by the way. I was just I love in, their bacon. I was just in Toronto and it was wonderful. Fantastic city. Anywho. Do you know what they call Canadian bacon in Canada? Well, it's funny because Cheryl called it Canadian bacon in Canada and the woman was like, you mean back bacon? Ham. Ham. <laughs> they call it breakfast. They call Canadian geese in Canada. <laughs> geese? Geese. <laughs> David Chilton, the wealthy barber, fantastic series of books. He says his position is that budgets are baloney. People do what they have to do. And if you save money first, if you save money first and you work from a cash lifestyle, meaning you're just working from your bank account, you're not getting into credit card debt, you will maneuver your budget around the money you have to save. So This is just like what happens when you are about to go on vacation for a week. You magically have so much energy and time and you get so many projects done and you work really hard and you check off all these boxes so that you can be free of it. Your work expands into the time allotted for it. The same thing is true with your money. If you have a whole bunch of credit cards available, if you take a very laissez-faire attitude to how much money is in your cash account or checking or whatever, you'll just spend willy-nilly. Some months will be good, some months will be bad. If you just say, here's here's my spending plan for the, the month, and there's a lot of psychology behind this, a lot of money and mind psychology behind like how that works. But if you operate from the perspective of like, here's how much money there is, I got to get through it. Yeah, guess what? The first time you do it, you will be out of money <laughs> on like the 20th. And you will learn like, a lesson very quickly. Yeah. And and you'll be like, oh, so this is what it means to like rummage through the closet. By the way, if you've never done this, here's my money saving tip. Don't go grocery shopping for the next two weeks. Eat the food that's in your house. I guarantee that there is so much crap in the closet that's like, ah, canned green beans, huh? Yeah. You know what? They're not bad. They're not fresh. They they don't taste fresh, but you bought them. Freaking eat them, man. You could you could save you could save money for a month just by eating out of your closet, I suppose. But anyways, so you'll screw this up the first time you do it. The twentieth, which is be great, out of money. which is absolutely fabulous. Next month you'll get to the twenty fifth. Month yeah. after that, maybe you'll make it to the thirtieth. I mean, you can't work the muscle unless you go to the gym, right? You have to start showing up with a budget. You have to mess it up. And just like anything, I think we give up too quickly. Like we go, oh, I can't budge. Oh, I can't do it. I can't, you know, you can't do that, man. You got to get back on the horse, learn from messing it up and do it again, which by the way, I like Maury's second one here, reduce spending each month. And by the way, this doesn't have to be a negative reducing spending. I'll tell you what happened to me at the end of last year. I went on this, this, and I'm not going to, I promise I'm not going to go on and on about my diet, but. What That's I, not true. What but, I okay. what I did. Let me tell you about my diet. It's so awesome. What, no, what I did was I went on this diet, and it was what I have to eat. I mean, it, and I absolutely love it. I feel great. But as a result, Cheryl and I talked about this. We saved so much money. We don't go out to restaurants a ton. However, we went out enough that I felt it in my budget when I went on this diet because I go to a restaurant, it's so difficult for me to stay on track. And I really right. wanted to be on plan. And two things happened. Number one was I reduced my spending. And number two was I felt better. 
And actually, you know what? Number three was the few times we did go to a restaurant, it actually felt like an event. It felt like fun. I was like, wow, I'm in a restaurant. Yay, I get to go out for dinner. McDonald's. It's awesome. (laughs) I can order any number on the menu. I can have as many McNuggets as I want. (laughs) Take that, Jesse at MetPro. I'm having a McNugget. No. Not, not the case, but reducing, reducing spending every month, another admirable goal, as long as it meets your, meets your long-term objective, don't cheapen your life. That's the one thing that bothers me when people go, oh, I'm going to spend less money. You can't shrink your way to greatness. You can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, and there's so many other, you know, you're talking about, uh, accidental savings basically, or accidental reductions in, in, uh, in uh, spending, you know, with just a smidge of energy, you can find bits of money piled up all over the place. I am not somebody who's an advocate for like, let's figure out a way to save five bucks. I don't put a lot of energy on that. But if you can save five bucks 15 times this month, and then that's a recurring five bucks from now on, you know, all of a sudden now you're talking about saving, you know, $100, $200 a month. And I'm thinking about like all of the subscriptions all those monthly things, everything's turning subscription. Now you have subscription for this, that, and the other thing, all those trial subscriptions that you signed up for the free shipping program at such and such a place by buying such and such a thing and having the monthly deal, your cable and internet. We hear all these stories about people who say, Oh, in five minutes I called the cable company and I got them to reduce my, you know, this, or I bought the modem for myself and instead of renting it for 12 bucks a month from them or whatever it is, like all of these little things, if you dedicate, if you chunk them all, I think you get a lot of bang for your buck. If you try to do a piecemeal like this, this month I'm going to call AT&T and fix my cable bill. And next month I think I'm going to be pay attention to my water consumption and maybe I can save some money. It's not a lot of wins all at once. You got to pile those all together. But I bet you that the average person has hundreds of dollars that just go out, out the, the door. Yeah. Just, just yeah. with things that you don't even, you know, recognize. I think three and four on this list go together. Pay off your credit card debt is number three. Build an emergency fund is number four. Next week, by the way, we're going to have our good friend Brian from Magnify Money here for our annual debt cleanse episode. Another one of my favorite episodes of the year. It's like but, a juice cleanse. Y- exactly. But with that visa... <laughs> In your, it's in a your juice wallet. cleanse with your visa. <laughs> it's a visa cleanse with your juice, juice in your visa card. But here's the reason I put these together, OG, and I think a lot of people don't think about this. Don't try to pay off your credit card debt without building your emergency fund. Because if you try to pay off your credit card debt and you have no emergency fund, you've got two choices. Either number one, make sure nothing comes up during the whole time that you're paying off your credit card debt, right? Because how often do people, they're in the middle of paying off their credit card debt and all of a sudden the muffler's dragging behind their car or the dishwasher breaks or whatever it is. And they're like, oh, I got, oh, I don't have any money. You got to go right back into credit card debt. So you can either make sure nothing comes up, no random event happens or get an emergency fund. So when it inevitably does happen, you can stay with your credit card payoff plan. This is one of those Dave Ramsey baby steps that I think are in the right order. I didn't come up with that? Well, you may have, but he certainly trademarked it a hell of a lot faster than you could have. Well, that dude stole it from me and trademarked it? It's amazing, yeah. Yeah. Next thing you know, he's going to borrow my name for it too, which was Joe's Total Cash Makeover. 
He came up with his own. You're good with that. He did? Yeah. He called it Dave's money makeover. Anyways, um, you have to have some money in the bank because this is exactly what will happen. You're going to get to the last payoff payment on your credit card and <laughs> the freaking refrigerator is going to go on the fritz and you're going to have to go charge a stupid refrigerator or something to start over. It's going to suck. And it's not about the fact that you had to use it. It's about the mental anguish that it causes when you actually have to. Because after doing that, and then you get clubbed on the head with this thing, you're going to say, oh gosh, I can never do it. I can never, I, you know, I can, uh, why did I even try this? And and then you're going to like kind of do the self-pity thing for a while and it's going to get worse before you can kind of start crawling back out of it again. So you have to have a little bit of both, even if it takes longer, even if your plan takes longer to pay off that credit card bill, you have to save money in cash and pay off the charge cards at the same time. Well, people often say that, hey, it's going to take me longer this way. You're not going to be redoing this plan over and over and over and over when it doesn't work. This is the plan that actually works. Last one on his list, by the way, and we're not going to belabor this one. It is save more for retirement. I like this for one reason. When people save, usually I see them save for the upfront stuff and they don't think about the long-term stuff. The longest term savings that you have to do, the more you put away for it today, I'm as lazy as the next guy, OG, the less money I have to put toward it. My interest, my, my capital gains, my appreciation will do most of the saving for me. I want somebody else to do my dirty work. That is a sincere goal that I have in life. And if I, <laughs> and if I, it's true. and if I save money now for these long-term goals, my interest is going to do my dirty work. It's amazing. Yeah. But if I wait and I save for retirement later, I got to do all the heavy lifting myself. Yeah. I've said a couple of times, you want your money to make enough money so that you don't have to make money anymore. Our second headline comes to us from the Wall Street Journal. Every year at the end of the year, I was, I was thinking this last week as I watched one of the cable news shows showing all the people we lost last year and the last decade, all the phenomenal people who passed away. And, and I thought about this at the beginning of the year, not to bring everybody down, but this is written by Daniel Grant. You inherited a bunch of papers. Now what? Archives may hold historical and other value if the de- even if the deceased wasn't famous. It basically goes through, OG, if you know older people and they pass away and you inherit this stuff, go through it. Find the, find the schools that might have been involved. Uh, find the people that would be interested in those things. And you'd be surprised how valuable some of these things are. But, and, and the reason is it's because most people just throw it away. You're talking about things like... Uh class reunion photos or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Taking those and not just donating them, but also when you donate them, have them appraised because even if you donate them, you might be able to get some tax advantages for donating this stuff. Yeah. Very interesting. I think this is really good because so many times you can kind of thumb through big piles of stuff. Goodness gracious. I just think about my mom and how much junk she has <laughs> and it's like 90% of it mom is junk and you know it. So, but there might be something in there and I can see how I, I can put myself in those shoes and say like, by the time I'm on like day six of thumbing through my mom's trash, eventually I'm just going to go, 
you know what? Just just chuck it. Dumpster it all. Yep. Everything in this box dumpster. But if you find a few things in there, or at least look in the main places, uh, the you're saying like old newspapers and things like that too, like. Yeah, I'm not going to quote much of this piece. We'll link to it in the show notes, but listen to this. The first step is not to throw anything out, says Jennifer Gross, director of the New York-based Hauser and Worth Institute, a firm that helps manage and place archives. After all, it may not be clear what will or will not be of interest to a researcher or a curator. Also resist the temptation to start reorganizing things, Ms. Gross says, since the original order of papers within a box, like receipts, correspondence, vacation photographs, and rough drafts, may tell its own story that a more thematic cataloging would destroy. So if you find something that looks like it's all related to a school or a research project or some period in history that a lot of people are interested in, like think about some of the everyman stuff that you'll see in museums about World War II as an example. Sure. Like if you can get the everyman perspective on World War II, what's that worth to the right museum? Uh-huh. Might be, might be fantastic. Hundreds of millions of dollars, according to to my tax returns. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of. I think that's the big lesson here. Hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in your mom's stuff. You got to stop telling her it's junk. I've got charitable contribution carry forwards for generations. Thanks, ma. And then our last takeaway, and I think the bigger one. I love these five top financial resolutions. Save more money each month, reduce spending, pay off your credit card debt, build an emergency fund, save more for retirement. You're kicking off a great decade, OG. OG hanging out here. Upstairs with mom today. It's so exciting on New Year's to have this guy coming down to the basement. Neil Pasrika, you know him because he's the New York Times million copy bestselling author of the Book of Awesome and the Happiness Equation. He's out with a new book called You Are Awesome. And if there's anything that we should do in our new Roaring Twenties Basement Speakeasy, it's talk about how awesome you are and to reframe a lot of the anxiety that people have not just around money, but around your job, around your life. You've probably seen Neil's TED Talk. You may have seen him speak at events because he speaks all over the world, part of his Global Happiness Institute. This guy is spreading happiness. And it's funny because, OG, he does this not for others, as you, I'm sure, because he always gets into it. He starts with himself first. So I'm thrilled that we're kicking off the new decade with this gentleman coming down to the basement. Let's say hello to Neil Pasricha. And coming down the stairs to the basement to help us kick off a brand new decade, the Roaring Twenties. Mr. Neil Pasricha is here with us. How are you, man? I'm doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me. I guess we are calling them the Roaring Twenties, eh? Well, we will use that. That's a good name. Yes. This is like our, you know, people call it the Dungy Basement. We call it our speakeasy. <laughs> I like that. I'm waiting for some, uh, what are they called? Uh, the, the flapper gals to come by. Yes. Getting that right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm starting to pull it all my 1920 slang for you. The music, the like flappers. Four, I have like maybe three words total. <laughs> well, that's how you begin a vocabulary, right? Well, and you're all about that. You're about changing your head, changing your outlook. So it all starts with your vocabulary. My friend As you know, see, I've, 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 I've read your book. I know your stuff. 
Well, I couldn't agree more. I think it's a great way to start the year. Talk about how you get your mindset set up for the next year. And January 1st is a perfect day to do it. Well, I really want to ask you about your thoughts about the new decade and your framing of the new decade. How do you look at this year differently? Or do you look at this year differently than any other New Year's? Well, flashback 10 years ago, we all thought technology was a salvation. We thought that we should flood our classrooms with computers. We should give everyone a cell phone. We should tether all ourselves all to the machine because it's going to make us into this new tech utopia. I think this next decade is going to be about managing our attention. It's going to be about managing our intention around technology. It's going to be reducing our technology consumption. Intermittent fasting, no, not just on your body, but on your cell phone, I think there's going to be a lot more awareness about the downsides of technology. And I think this decade and this year, especially for me, are going to be about how we control what our smartphones are doing to us so that we can be more thoughtful about how we spend our time and our our attention. I want to ask you this too, and this is from a little bit later in your book. How do you start your morning, Neil? (laughs) I'll tell you what I don't do. I don't do what 95% of us do and what I used to do, which is look at my cell phone. We shouldn't have a cell phone in the bedroom, Joe. We really shouldn't. People say, oh, it's my alarm clock. I'm like, go to Walmart. Buy an alarm clock. They're $10. What you should be doing is what I'm trying to do now every day is grab a pen, grab a piece of paper, a journal, a notepad, whatever you need, and write down three prompts. Number one is, I will let go of. Number two is, I am grateful for. And number three is, I will focus on. Each of those is a research-backed way to strengthen your mindset for the day. I will let go of helps you get rid of a little anxiety, a little worry that you wake up with. Research in Science Magazine called Don't Look Back on Anger shows that minimizing regrets as we age helps increase contentment. We used to do this through the Catholic confession chamber, you know, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. (laughs) Not just Catholicism, but also Buddhism, Mormonism, Judaism, Islam. But right now, the fastest-growing religion in the world is actually no religion. And so we need a form of contemporary confession, a place to put our anxious thoughts every day. So I write down, I'll let go of the five pounds I gained over the holidays. I will let go of the fact that I yelled at my kid yesterday. Whatever it is I'm feeling guilty or bad about, let go of it. Second thing is I am grateful for. We know in our brain, there's something called our amygdala. It releases fight or fight hormones all day. That means we naturally want to look at the negative. Uh, We want to rubberneck on the highway. We want to look at if it bleeds, it leads, right? You have to practice every morning, Joe, looking for good things. And you have to be specific. You can't write my husband and my kid and my dog. You have to write when my husband Antonio put the toilet seat down, when my three-year-old son gave me a picture from school, when my dog learned how to shake a paw, specific. And finally, I will focus on, that's the last one, that carves a will do from your endless could do and should do. We all are suffering from decision fatigue. It is increasing our anxiety, lowering our well-being and resilience. So I will focus on help strengthen your mind by coming up with the one thing that you will do each day, turning your to-do list into a to-do list. I don't want to let this go, Neil. I think the order of these is really important. Focus as the third step. Because by then, you've let go a lot of the bad stuff that too many of us focus on. We'll talk about this a little more later, but I think we're too hard on ourselves. We want to be perfect too often. And then thinking, coming from a place of gratitude, like before you focus, having those in your head, I think is a really important part of this. I think so, too. You know, our brains have an amygdala in the back of them. It's about the size of a walnut. It secretes fight or flight hormones all day naturally when we wake up, we want to read bad news. Like we instinctively want to. We want to rubberneck on the highway. So when you put your brain in a positive thing, when you write down the positive things I just talked about, you know, being specific about your husband putting the toilet seat down or your kid giving you uh, a picture that you drew at school, 
that, as you said, your mind is opened up to looking for the positive. By the way, before that, of course, was I will let go of, which relieves you of an anxiety. So you're no longer dwelling on the thing that was keeping you up at night. 2020, you talk about, not not specifically in 2020, but, but since we're talking on New Year's Day, you speak in the intro to your book about us needing to be more resilient. And I think that this type of a thing, focusing more on the positive and less on the negative can help us be more resilient. But why the focus, Neil, on resilience to kick off the book? Well, here's why. Because we live in the most abundant time ever in human civilization compared to any generation previously. We are living longer, we are more educated, and we are wealthier than ever before. Even if it doesn't feel like it, even on real terms, we actually are wealthier. And by the way, just to add to that, we also live in the safest generation of all time. Nobody is going through a plague or a gigantic famine or a huge Great Depression or getting forcibly shipped off to war. So we, we seemingly live like kings. However, at the exact same time, we have the highest ever rates of anxiety, loneliness, depression, and suicide. When you look into the research, it turns out that a big thing a lot of us are fighting with is our mental strength. Cell phones feed us lines telling us we are never good enough. You're always second best when it comes to comparing someone else's friends or followers. Somebody's had a lobster buffet in the Maldives at all times, so your lunch always sucks. All this is packaged up to me into a day and age where people like me, I'm a 40-year-old man, I got kids, we're feeling thin-skinned. We're feeling low resilience. We're feeling mentally weak. We are turning into an army of porcelain dolls. And so that's why You Are Awesome is all about building up that muscle. I wrote it because I needed to build that muscle up. The two-minute morning thing I just talked about is one of the tools I talk about in the book to try to build up my mental strength. Yeah, you mentioned this very briefly. And, uh, you know, I want to start the new year on a positive note, but you mentioned you needed this for yourself. Your wife left you and one of one of your best friends committed suicide. Is that correct? Yeah, that happened 10 years ago. It was a horrible year. It was like my worst year of my life. And I lost 40 pounds of distress. Uh, you know, I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. Of course, everybody at Walmart where I was working was like, you look great. What's your secret? You know, that's what we say to people when they lose a ton of weight. And so I channeled those energies into starting a blog called 1000awesomethings.com. That blog took off, went viral, hit 50 million people, and it turned into my first book called The Book of Awesome, which now came out since it's 2020, 10 years ago and back in 2010. So flash forward to today, I mentioned, you know, I'm 40 now, I'm remarried. My wife, Leslie, and I have been together now for five years, and we have young kids. So did everything turn out perfect for me? No, because life is just up and down like it always is. I'm very happily married and I love my children. But I, like I said, feel like a fragile little doll. And so I get an email from somebody and I'm like, it's rude. I'm like, I, I can never talk to this person again. I get two likes on my photos. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have no friends. But this is how we all think today. And that's why the focus on resilience was so important for me. It's funny. I heard a coach tell me recently that we always focus on the horizon. And yet the further you go, the horizon just moves with you. So we've always got this horizon that never comes instead of looking in the rear view mirror to see what, what progress we made and being excited about the progress we made and what actually happened. We're always focused on this ideal that we'll never, ever, ever achieve. It's a big problem. Psychologists call it the hedonistic treadmill. It's because I use six words to describe it personally. And this actually comes from my last book called The Happiness Equation. I write down that when your parents talked to you when you were a kid, they lied. <laughs> they lied. This is what they told you. They said, Great work, that's the two words, leads to big success, those are the next two words, leads to be happy, those are the last two words, six words. Great work, leads to big success, 
athletes to be happy. Unfortunately, based on all the positive psychology research I've done, I know that that model's totally backwards. As you just said, Joe, it's actually be happy leads to great work, leads to big success. Again, if you can prime your brain for positivity in the morning, two-minute practice we just talked about is a good start, then you start off happiness. According to the research, you're 31% more productive, you have 37% higher sales, you're three times more creative, you're 40% more likely to get a promotion in the next 12 months. I could go on and on and on. Happiness turns out to be a great thing for you in your life and in your work, and then you have the big success. You actually live longer. According to the Nunn study at the University of Kentucky, happy people live an average of 10 extra years. Considering we only live for about 80, 10's a lot. That's such an exciting study, by the way. We did some work on that study here, just diving into that. That It's just phenomenal. And how that's all got to be internal. Yeah, exactly. And I always tell people, all those extra years are happier years. Remember this. You're, you're happier through them all, right? There was an even a stat that comes out of that study that shows 15% of people live to the age of 94. But if you are happy, if you start off happier, then guess what? Your odds more than triple, okay? It's like 54% live to age 94 if you're happy. By the way, just so I keep referring to this study and you, you just talked about it, what they did is they looked at nuns entering U.S. convents in the 1930s and 40s. And because those nuns are like, I don't want to use the word lab rats, it's not the right word, but like they're all wearing the same clothes, eating the same food, living in the same building. None of them smoke, none of them drink, none of them have sex. Like it's literally like a control group. They could look at their positivity when they came into the convent in the form of their autobiographies and then compare them to how they lived 60, 70, 80 years later. And that's where this research comes out, why it's so powerful, because the longest ever longitudinal study on happiness ever done. It is, it is fantastic. Speaking of fantastic, you have nine secrets to being awesome. And I want to start where you start because, well, you met mom upstairs before we started. Mom's very proud of us. A lot of your success you attribute to your mom. Tell me a little bit about your mom. My mom was born in Nairobi, Kenya in 1950, and she grew up the youngest of eight. She was a fifth girl in a family praying for a fourth boy. As she grew up, Idi Amin uh, was kind of taken over East Africa. Her family fled, for lack of better words, looking for a better place to live. My mom was ushered into an arranged marriage with a guy she'd met once before and basically forced to move to a country, Canada, that she'd never lived before and had no family and friends in. As I learned this story about my mom as I got older, I was like, how'd you do it? You know, you, you were essentially traumatized multiple times throughout your life, what we'd call trauma today, but you, you seemed to come out the other side. And she said, Neil, all I did was turn a period into a dot, dot, dot. It was, I don't know this man yet. It wasn't, I have no friends. It was, I have no friends here yet. It wasn't, I don't eat meat, because she didn't eat meat when she moved to Canada ever before. But of course, you can't be vegetarian and like, you know, the suburbs of Toronto in the 1960s, she's like, I don't eat meat, dot, 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 yet. And I thought about that idea of turning a period to a dot, dot, dot. You know what we all do, Joe? We all talk to ourselves with periods. Your pitch gets rejected. You say, I'm not creative. You get a bad blood test from the boss or from the doctor. You think, I don't go to the gym. You think to yourself, oh, I can't go to Japan. I don't speak Japanese. This is how we talk to ourselves. What we should be doing is saying, I'm not creative yet. I don't go to the gym yet. I can't speak Japanese yet. The way I define resilience in the book, You Are Awesome, is it's the ability of your mind to see the tiny sliver of light right between the door and the frame after you hear the latch click. The latch will click. 
for you many times in your life. I've talked about my divorce, the loss of my friend. Those are just two things. I haven't even talked about the uh, horrible physical thing on my body that was called out to me by a ninth grade gym teacher. I haven't talked to you about getting fired from my first job. We all have so many things like this. Resilience is, can you see the sliver of light? Can you add a dot, dot, dot yet to whatever story you are telling yourself? And let your mind be open to the potential that you might be changing in the future. I want to dig into just a couple things there before we we move a little bit further forward, Neil. Number one is your mom really had the deck stacked against her. You explained uh, Kenyan society during that time. You mentioned earlier that her parents were waiting for a boy. Obviously, mom's yes. a girl. But not only was she the wrong gender, you say she was born the wrong race. Everything was wrong. I mean, she started off her life, Neil, with all the hope already sucked out. Exactly. Kenyan society at the time was run by colonialists. You know, that's the British. They're white. They're the rulers. They're in charge. So the East Indian class was below that level. And at the time, all the money and resources from the family were given to the boys for their education and their upbringing. The girls, typically the family had to save for a dowry, which means that the family had to pay another family. It's like, thank you for taking our daughter off our chest. Here is a treasure chest full of money and property and jewelry to go along with her. You know, and so all those costs sunk into my, my mom's parents when she was born. And she would sit on her front porch trying to memorize license plates as they went by just as a way to challenge and stimulate her brain because all her other sisters were inside cooking. That was what they were taught to just cook and clean. That's what you're going to do when you get older and get married. That paid off for her when at age 12, she wrote the national exam with every other Kenyan student and she aced it. She got the top mark in the whole country. In the country. In the country. She was whisked off to Kenya High, a private boarding school that was largely reserved for the white people in the country. And she learned a whole bunch of new languages, started praying to a new God in a new religion, you know, was eating soft boiled eggs in the corner of the school cafeteria, giving the Lord's Prayer. Everything was totally new for her. And it was because she kept trying and worked herself into a situation where she succeeded. She added a dot, dot, dot yet to her story over and over and over again. And as I'm talking to you today, you know, my mom is 67 and has been married for something like, I got to get it right, something like 40 years to my dad. Yeah, that's I can't say the relationship is perfect, but it's worked. <laughs> but certainly it's, worked enough to create my existence. My whole time reading that though, Neil, all I kept thinking was, if this woman could be positive, as positive as she is saying yet, I haven't done this yet. Like, how hard is my life? Like when I read that, I'm like, oh, if she can do it, then I certainly can do it. I felt way powerful after that secret. And at the same time, and I don't want to let this go, you also do a history of dot, dot, dot. And how yes. dot, 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 dot also is a powerful piece of the English language that wasn't always here. Like we kind of added this midstream. Yeah, Dr. Ann Toner is an academic at Cambridge University, and she spent years studying the history of the ellipsis. So the ellipsis is the word for a dot, dot, dot. So that sounds hilarious just in and of itself, but she found it, right? So way back in the Middle Ages, about 500 years ago, a play, Andrea, which was written back in, in BC, was performed for the first time in 1476. And in that performance, it's the very first incomplete utterances by the play's character. Okay, so I include a photo of this. The idea of this dot, dot, dot appears for the first time. Now that dot, dot, dot is ubiquitous, right? Someone's typing on the other end of your cell phone. You see like the three dot, you know, the dot, dot, dot appears. It's everywhere. That's just how we talk now. 
this 500 years ago was there's no such thing as an incomplete utterance. And so all I'm saying is embrace that in your own life. You know what else is an incomplete utterance? You, everything about you, everything, everything you've done, everywhere you're going, you're an unfinished sentence. Remember that and let your story and your sentence continue rather than finishing it off in your mind. No matter what that is, whether it's getting out of prison, whether it's getting a visa approved, whether it's getting into a school you, you didn't get into or you don't want to get into or getting in or out of a relationship you don't want, it can apply to everything. But just remember more than anything else, it continues. You're going to keep going. Add a dot, 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 and keep moving forward. You didn't feel that way when you had your first job out of college. You worked for Procter & Gamble. In fact, you went in there kind of feeling good, feeling like you had the world on a string. And pretty soon you realized that it wasn't working out. Uh, <laughs> and that's a lot of people, right? Especially out of college. They think, yeah. hey, you know, my daughter had a job, Neil, right out of college. I yeah. remember how excited she was. I remember a year later how jaded she was. And I'm sure there's people listening to this thinking that right now. Tell me about that transformation a little bit. Sure. Well, I came out of Queens University. I got a job in marketing at Procter & Gamble. Again, it was the highest paid marketing job at the time. It was considered the best place to work for marketing. This is the company that does, you know, Tide and CoverGirl and, and Bounce. And they make all Crest and all these big brands. So I get that job. I'm going in gung-ho. They told me I was the only one that was hired that year. I'm super excited. I just honestly, Joe, I just suck at the job. Like I just can't do it. It's Excel spreadsheets. I thought it was going to be PowerPoint slides. Like I totally misunderstood the job. I never once asked in the interviews, so what will I actually do? I was like, marketing? I guess I'll just pick the models for the CoverGirl uh, ad <laughs> campaigns. And by the way, that was the brand I was on, CoverGirl, CoverGirl Makeup. Turns out that's not the case. I'm analyzing like the, the price increases in mascara commodities and 10,000 row spreadsheets and my eyes are getting crossed and I can't keep up with the work. I suck. I frankly just suck at the work. And it wasn't for lack of trying. I start going in in the evenings, going in the weekends. I feel horrible about the fact that I suck. Then they put me on a performance improvement plan, which is a document that basically says, we want to fire you, but we don't have enough of a paper trail. So let's build one together. You know, why don't we write down all the stuff you suck at as you're sucking at in real time. So I see that thing start to get filled up and I'm like, I can't handle this. So a few months into my job, I quit. And then I look in the research 10 years later, and I, it turns out that what I did in that job, maybe what your daughter did, is like, this is super common. According to the psychologist Marison Malawi at Mizuzu University, high achievers are more likely than average or low achievers to blame themselves when something happens. They think, oh, it's on me. You made it, we fail, high achievers, and a lot of people listening are high achievers. We fail to see the possible system being rigged against you. The, or the idea that it just might not be a good fit. Like maybe you didn't get into Yale because you're not a good fit for Yale. There's nothing to do with the fact that Yale doesn't like you or that you suck. It's just that maybe you'd be better at uh, the other college that you got into that you, you, didn't, you weren't as excited about, but maybe it's better for you. Maybe you'll do better there. Maybe you'll meet your people there, your friends, or focus in an area that you actually are, have more of a passion. We fail to see that. This is what happens to all high achievers. In fact, we, I came, when I came across the research, when I was researching resilience, we do something called shining a spotlight on ourselves. There is a very famous term called the spotlight effect that came into usage around the year 2000. The psychologist's name was Thomas Gilovich and Kenneth Savitsky, and they coined this term the spotlight effect. Why? Because at Cornell, they did a study where they took a group of Cornell students and they asked them to estimate their abilities in the eyes of others in their physical appearance, their athletic accomplishment, and how well they were playing a video game. Okay, it's just a test thing. Guess what? This isn't a surprise to everyone listening. The participants constantly overestimated the extent to which their strengths and weaknesses would be noticed, observed, and judged. 
by observers. We think everyone's staring at us. There's a camera on the front of all of our iPhones. We paste endless stories about ourselves on Instagram. So we think everyone's looking at us, but they're not. They're looking at their cell phones. They're looking at their iPhone camera. They're looking at how pretty they look. There's a trap when it comes to resilience. Our resilience is partly low because we overestimate how much other people care about us by a lot. Turns out they don't care about us that much. And that should be relieving to your stress levels. Well, and not only that, I love the fact as I was reading that if if you shift the spotlight, which is your recommendation, which is the secret, but when you shift it, I also thought about the other consequence. I think people like you more because you're shifting it to them. You're spending time talking about the spotlight on them. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing is you have to remember that the place that most of us get to thinking, you know, this failure, this flop, this lost opportunity is all about me. That's actually an egotistical position to take. You couldn't be more self-centered to think that, right? You're not thinking about how many beds Yale has or how many admissions people are in the department that maybe have worked there for 20 years and might know a little bit about how to let people into the school. I'm using these examples, but like you're being self-centered when you think that way. And so how do you shift the spotlight? Well, I give people three questions. Number one is, will this matter on my deathbed? Number two is, can I do something about this? And number three is, is this a story I'm telling myself? So number one, will it matter on your deathbed? Well, zoom out. Most things don't matter on your deathbed. The little car accident, the two-month relationship that ended, it just doesn't matter when you're 98 years old. And if you can know that today, you relieve yourself of some of the stress. Number two, can I do something about it? This is a great question. Why? Because if you can, go ahead, do it, fix it. And if you can't, well, you can't. Your hands are tied. You're in handcuffs. So you cannot worry about something you cannot control, right? It's the serenity prayer. And the third thing, is this a story I'm telling myself? So often when I speak to college and university students, I hear them say things like this. Oh, I failed my parents. Why? Well, I didn't get into med school. Why? Because I failed biology. Listen to yourself. You failed biology. You added the story of I failed my parents. People say, oh, I don't, no one trusts me. Why? I drank too much. Why? I'm an alcoholic. You added those layers on there. You say nobody trusts you, but why don't you just wrestle with the core objective truth? You're an alcoholic. You can work on that. Nobody trusts you is a story you're telling yourself. You have to, and this is the same with all of us, no matter what we're thinking about. We add all these things that aren't true. They're just stories that we add and, and of course, make ourselves feel bad. The book is You Are Awesome, How to Navigate Change, Wrestle with Failure, and Live an Intentional Life. We, we touched on the first two of nine secrets, and I have to tell you, it's a great way to begin, begin your year. Neil, I wish you had some enthusiasm for the topic. <laughs> you should see me after I have a coffee. <laughs> I, I imagine what your spouse says, like, whoa, 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 stay away from the coffee, Neil. Stay away. <laughs> yeah, let's talk for a second, though, about your project, the Institute for Global Happiness, because you're on this mission. Tell me what you're up to besides writing, my friend. Well, the big thing for me these days, honestly, it comes down to I'm searching for the world's 1,000 most formative books. Institute for Global Happiness is kind of where I do that. But the podcast itself is called Three Books. So I interview people. We were just talking about how I was down in, in your neck of the woods interviewing Mitch Album, And I ask other authors or inspiring people, which three books most changed your life? So it's a podcast called Three Books. I interviewed Judy Bloom and Malcolm Gladwell and Chris Anderson and Runs Ted. Why am I doing that? Because everyone needs to read more books. According to 2011 annual review of psychology, books open up our mirror neurons, the part of our brain responsible for empathy, compassion, understanding. It's like that old Game of Thrones quote, which is, a reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. 
The Man Who Never Reads Lives Only One. So the purpose of my podcast, three books, is to give me three books to read <laughs> before every interview I do. That's why I don't do them as much as you. I only do like a new podcast on every like full moon and new moon. I, I timed it to the lunar calendar because I don't trust the Gregorian calendar. And it lasts till 2031. So it's 333 straight lunar cycles all the way up to September 1st, 2031. Had I been a better planner, I would have done it that way instead of three days a week. I, I yeah. don't I totally well in uh, the iTunes ranking algorithm likes your way a lot better than my way. They do not understand why I release podcasts a Tuesday at two thirty eight in the morning, followed by the next Friday at eight p.m. But that's all right. We got your back. Uh, we will have a link to the book to Global Happiness into the podcast on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com for people that are walking the dog or on their commute. Man, Neil, Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year to you too, Joe. Thank you so much for all the great work you're doing. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And as the kids would say, this New Year's party is lit, yo. Paula Pant just won our Bobbing for Benjamins contest. Len, uh, I think that's Len, is passed out in the corner after drinking all that gold-infused whatever. And Joe's losing it because people just can't get the Monopoly rules right. I mean, it's Monopoly. There is no money on free parking, people. I think this would be the best time to break away for your first 2020 dose of my famous trivia. So while we don't charge a dime for this here party, we know that tons of money were made in speakeasies back in the day. And while you may know that speakeasies started due to prohibition after the feds cracked down on alcohol sales and consumption, here's today's question. In what year did prohibition take effect? I'll be back with your answer in just a moment. Well, I love this for my stock portfolio because, as you know, the world of stock-based investing can be very frustrating. It can be very difficult to know how to start. You hear about a bottom-up approach, a top-down approach, all kinds of things. I remember back when I was a kid, I grabbed a Motley Fool book. This is back. Here's an Uncle Joe old guy story. But the Motley Fool guys were new on the scene and I was super excited, so I grabbed a Motley Fool book, and I dug into individual stocks. So if you've ever wondered how to invest or struggled to understand how to make your money work for you, the Motley Fool is just what you need. Motley Fool provides advice and guidance that cuts through the noise of standard business sections and websites and gives you simple, easy-to-use analysis to help you understand the market and to understand stock-based investing. Of course, The Motley Fool started by Tom and David Gardner. They founded TMF out of their garage in Alexandria, Virginia. Both are still with the company. Tom's CEO, David's the lead stock analyst and board member. Motley Fool's flagship service stock advisor provides two stock recommendations every month, daily analysis and coverage designed to help you beat the market. Motley Fool's become, of course, well-known analyst. I'm sure you've probably heard of the Motley Fool. Identifying the leaders and trends before they become everyday aspects of life. They recommended Amazon in 1997, recommended Netflix in 2004. They recommended Marvel, of course, now Walt Disney in 2004. To kick off your 2020 financial goals, Motley Fool's offering five of their favorite stock picks for free to stackers. Head to Fool. Dot com forward slash SB. That's fool.com forward slash SB. Happy 2020 trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, ready to finish up my first 
terrific trivia of the year so I can get back to what we all think is probably the lamest, I mean, best party of the year. Today's question was this. What year did Prohibition go into effect? The answer is the 18th Amendment to the Constitution prohibiting the manufacture, sale, or transportation of alcohol was adopted by both houses of Congress in December 1917 and ratified by the necessary two-thirds of the states on January 16th, 1919. But, like any government work, it took a while, so under the terms of the act, Prohibition actually began on January 17th, 1920. I had you. You kept thinking you were close and you were right, but then I just kept adding more in there. So it's 1920. Isn't that amazing? A hundred years ago, minus like uh, 16 days. We're way smarter now, though, you know, thanks to cat videos and K pop on YouTube. See ya. Big thanks to Neil for stopping by. I love this idea, OG. Love this idea of your life as an ellipsis. It isn't, I haven't invested. It's, I haven't invested yet. It isn't, I'm not debt free. It's, I'm not debt free yet. For people in the fire movement, it isn't, I'm not financially independent. It's, I'm not financially independent yet. I love that. I have an interesting corollary to this, a little bit of a personal story. So, you know, I was a Marine. One of the habits a lot of service members have is, uh, smoking or chewing tobacco, right? It's just a kind of a commonplace. I mean, frankly, a lot of people do it, but but it was a very prevalent in the service. I went through this experience where I was like, okay, I should probably stop doing this, right? Like this is probably really bad for me, but it's highly addictive. And it's very difficult. So what I decided was, was that I was not quitting chewing tobacco. I was just not going to do it right now. What I found was, was that the, the thread between all of it was when I stopped to get gas, I used to drive all over God's creation, you know, for meetings and all sorts of stuff. But when I would stop for gas, I would go in the gas, you know, you put the gas tank in or the gas pump, turn it on, run in the gas station, I'd get a can of chewing tobacco and I'd come back out and the gas would be done. That was like the rhythm that I had. And so what I decided was I was just never going to go into a gas station again. I wasn't going to quit. I just wasn't doing it right now and I wasn't going into a gas station. I think that was so much more powerful than just saying, okay, I'm going to quit smoking or I'm going to quit, you know, drinking or, you know, now I'm going to using it to for a money analogy and now I'm going to really cut back and I'm going to really, it's like, no, you don't have to, it's not all about like all or nothing. It's like little teeny tiny changes. So that really resonates with me also that kind of dot, dot, dot thing. Because I'll tell you, as somebody who hasn't had a lick of nicotine in a dozen years, I still think about it. Like it's still not, it's not enticing, but I, sure. like, I, I think very fondly on those days. Like, oh right. yeah, this would be like a great time to, it's, you know, and there's people out there who struggle with different addictions, you know, maybe alcohol or something like that. And I was like, gosh, this was, this would be a really great time to just sit out by the porch and have a beer. And it's not saying like that's a really bad thing or it's a really good thing. It's just recognizing, I think, that you're not done with that struggle ever, you know, yeah. or you're not done with financial independence. Like it doesn't, somebody asked me this a couple of weeks ago, we were having a meeting. They said, well, how do I know when I'm done? When do I stop doing this? I'm like, you never stop. That's the point. You can't. You talk to people who sold companies that have 
you know, they're like, oh yeah, I sold my billion dollar company. It's like, cool. So you're good. No, no, I got 30 more projects lined up. I'm, I'm, I'm up to my elbows in projects right now. It's like, you just got done with this thing. You should be done now. It's like, no, all the success that we have in our lives is all about momentum and movement and progress and just one foot in front of the other. I think that's huge because there's all these false positives that we give ourselves. You know, I, um, uh, when I was trying to kick my fast food habit a long time ago, I realized that I thought of fast food whenever I thought about old times of the family, man, we'd go pick up my dad at, at uh, the GM plant during his lunch. We get the lunch hour. My dad didn't have that much time. We'd go down the street to this place called dog and suds and we'd have great family time. So I associate fast food with family fun time, which is false, right? Which is the beer is false. The chew is false. Like that part, that association that your brain makes that synapse, not, not a real thing. And the idea that you're always working on it, it's awesome. And, and, and also the fact, to Neil's point, to his mom, the fact that you can be whatever you want to be. You, you just wake up tomorrow and you say, no, I'm not going to be the eighth kid in this family in Kenya who is just doing nothing. I can be that if I want to be, but if I don't want to be, I don't have to be. Super powerful. Big thanks to Neil for, for stopping by. Oh, gee, I got an idea. Let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Going to the gym and eating broccoli every day. <laughs> this entire year. That's my New Year's resolution. Every day I'm going to eat broccoli and go to the gym. That is it. I, I think that's unfailable <laughs> as a goal. It's your loved ones and your time, believe it or not. But you'll be around longer. If you work out and eat more broccoli, so you'll have more time for your loved ones. That's why they may buy in quality term life insurance. Actually simple. If you go to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now, you'll get a free quote. Also, you'll find that's my favorite calculator just to find out how much you need because they give you a range, which is, I agree with your own Ben Z, the founder of Haven Life. There is no one-size-fits-all answer. It is a range. And so you can find that calculator at uh, stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. Hey, to bring people up to speed, a couple of weeks ago, I had a little, little discussion about some of the things going on in the show and uh, from a creator standpoint. And I was thrilled. Well, frankly, OG, I think I speak for both of us. We were thrilled with kind of the outpouring of support we got from our friends. So thank you to everybody who wrote to us. In fact, I had so many people write to me that I couldn't, and it was right at the holidays that I couldn't, I couldn't write back to everybody, but I did want to say a very public thank you. And, um, well, here is a representative note from somebody who called the Haven lifeline to talk about the show. Oh, I was listening to the latest podcast and I was amazed to hear that people are criticizing your advertising. Your show is totally wonderful. I laugh all the time. Of course you need advertisements. Who's going to pay for it? And if people are so critical, they should just come up with their own podcast. I've been listening to your show maybe a year or two, and yours and, and Paula Pants is totally different, and I enjoy both of them for different reasons. So please keep doing the show and maybe I'll even actually buy some of the stuff you advertise, <laughs> even whether I need it or not. Just 
for keeping you guys on. Thanks so much for what you do. You're, you're wonderful. Thank you for everybody who left us a note like that. First of all, don't go buy a bunch of stuff you don't need just to keep us podcasting. We will continue making the show. You need the deodorant though. <laughs> yeah. So everyone does. Just it's say actually, it. it's actually really good. So that is good. And it's wonderful. This community of people, I really appreciate you all keep us going and make us very, um, very grateful that we're going to get to spend 2020 entertaining ourselves and entertaining you at the same time. And as people have been around a while, know we're pretty much just trying to make ourselves laugh. We're just entertaining ourselves. We, at this totally, point. we totally are. How did you come up with the show? Well, Joe and I think about stuff that makes us laugh. <laughs> then we say it on a recording. And half the time we have to say, Steve, take that out. And the other half, it gets to stay in. What about the stuff that uh, you don't find funny, but it's really important? We take that out. We do. Yes. It's only about making us laugh. Yes. If it is, if it's super great financial advice, but not at all entertaining, you're gone. That's that's what Paula's show's for, right there. Obviously, kidding about that. Not kidding about Paula's show being being good. Kidding about the financial literacy part. We we totally want great financial literacy. But thank you to all of you. Thanks to everybody who's left a review. By the way, OG is going to be opening up the doors here shortly on 2020. Already open. It is already open. I oh, did not crazy. know that. I didn't get the. I there didn't was, get the memo. There was the big. Uh, it was the big stampede, like at Best Buy on Black Friday. Nobody got trampled though by somebody trying to get I to the. I feel like a couple people got trampled. To yeah. the OG. Yeah. Would it be great if people rushed for financial services like they rushed for a big screen TV? Just save a few bucks on a big screen. I want to get my financial house in order. Crawling over each other, beating the hell out of each other. Me, me, me. Pick me. <laughs> me first. Me first. There was a guy I used to work with who used to talk about he was failing as a financial advisor early in his career. And, and he was at the mall instead of doing what he should be doing. And he walked by a uh, one of those kiosks in the middle of the mall and they were giving away stadium blankets. And he said they were like eight people deep. And he's he's thinking, I can't find anybody who wants to get their financial house in order. And people are lining up eight deep to get into debt. But it's a stadium blanket, dude. But it was. Absolutely. Free stadium blanket. Those people never pay for that. Good stuff. Thanks for that call. If you've got a call, a question for the Haven Lifeline, uh, stackybedjamins.com forward slash voicemail. All right, that's going to do it for today. Happy New Year, everybody. Doug, take it from here, man. What should people have learned here at the beginning of the Roaring Twenties? So what should we have learned today? First, take some advice from Neil Passricha. Remember, you're awesome. Don't forget that going into 2020. You've got a bright future ahead of you and nobody can take that away. Second, if you haven't already, add some financial goals to your New Year's resolutions. Whether it be paying off debt, saving more for retirement, or starting an emergency fund, all of them will improve your financial future, and then all of your other goals will look better. But the big takeaway? Don't dance to Billy Idol with Joe's mom at the party of the decade. That woman's dancing with herself, even if she's dancing with you. Big thanks to Neil Passricha for joining us. You can find You Are Awesome wherever books are sold. This show was created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin's Cast or on our Facebook page. 
I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I do not like computer jokes. Not one bit. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Special thanks to Dave Ramsey for dropping by the basement. Unfortunately, Dave, we weren't able to get you on the mic this episode, but hopefully soon. Stick around. Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. What happens in the after show stays in the after show. We don't talk about it. If you find that you have to talk about it, you can call it dessert. We'll call it dessert. So there's a story that we covered a while ago. I remember how long ago this was, OG. But this is an interesting next piece of it. Remember the story about the crypto founder, who uh, disappeared with the password in his brain. Yes. And all that money was gone. And then they announced that he died while in India. Yeah. He, he died. And yet nobody, nobody knew where he went. This is from the New York times, just to follow up on that piece. I don't know if you saw this. The headline reads unable to retrieve money. Cryptocurrency investors want dead executive exhumed. (laughs) Nice. Well, because it was weird. It didn't seem the fact that he quote died seemed fishy, didn't it? Well, and as I recall, isn't this? Uh, I, I think I read this article or something similar to it. Wasn't this uh, morgue or whatever known for shoddy paperwork? <laughs> I, this is written by Liam Stack. After Gerald W. Cotton died last year, his clients at the cryptocurrency exchange. Quadriga CX found themselves unable to gain access to at least $250 million in their accounts. Company's operations were encrypted, and he was the only person who knew the passwords needed to move the funds, the company said. Now with law enforcement officials in two countries investigating potential wrongdoing at the firm, frustrated investors want definitive proofs Mr. Cotton is actually dead. Lawyers appointed by the Supreme Court of Nova Scotia, where Quadriga is based, to represent its users, asked Canadian law enforcement officials in a letter on Friday to exhume his body and conduct an autopsy to confirm both its identity and the cause of death. They cited the questionable circumstances surrounding Mr. Cotton's death and the significant losses suffered by his company's investors, as well as the need for certainty around the question of whether Mr. Cotton is in fact deceased. It was January 28th of last year that Quadriga's platform went offline. So it has been a year. And at that point, a theory started spreading 
that Mr. Cotton had faked his own death as part of the scheme. Quadriga's platform had 363,000 users when it went offline, 115,000 of whom had balances in their accounts. I would not be surprised if this dude's on an island somewhere. It seems so weird. It sure smells like it. He was the only one. By the way, the uh, amounts of money, $180 million in cryptocurrency, $70 million in Canadian currency, the largest single account valued at roughly $70 million. Somebody had $70 million locked away. Why do you do that? Don't do that, people. Pocket change to a guy like you. (laughs) Maybe the person that did it, but Quadriga didn't appear to possess any basic corporate records, said a report from Ernst & Young. More troubling, it said the firm had transferred, quote, significant volumes of cryptocurrency into personal accounts held by Mr. Cotton on other online exchanges. It also documented the transfer of substantial funds to him personally that had no clear business justification. Yeah, dude figured out really quickly, like, there's $200 million here. (laughs) Like, I can pay a lot of money to go away and be gone forever. See ya. I'm not a a conspiracy theorist, and usually I hear these people on conspiracy. I listen to this show late at night. You ever listen to that show that's on all night long? Uh, George Norrie is the name of the host. It always has things about the supernatural or aliens or whatever it might be, just this weird X-Files kind of stuff. But they always have these guests that come on that completely believe all of it, which makes it an amazing show. And by the way, George Norrie's the perfect host for this because he buys into all of it. And I can say, not definitively, but if I were the host of that show, I would treat it exactly like he does. He acts like, oh, gee, every single caller, no matter how whacked out the theory is, completely sane and rational. Yeah. Which makes it so much more fun. It is so much more fun because sometimes he's not there and he, and I haven't listened to it in a long time, so he might not even be the host anymore, but, but he's sometimes there's a guest host in the past and they would come on and they go, no, I don't think that's the case. Like George didn't do that. George was always like, oh yeah, yeah. I bet your aunt is a ghost in the spare bedroom. (laughs) Well, I think this dude had 250 million reasons to disappear. (laughs) And, um, uh, I think the other thing that was kind of funny was in an article that I read about, I just caught a little bit of it, but there was something about the fact that he allegedly died from eating too much Indian food and he had Crohn's disease or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's complications from Crohn's disease, which, which if anybody has significant stomach issues like Crohn's or, you know, whatever, they know that in advance. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like they don't generally say, Oh, I'm just going to go ahead and eat this anyway. Right. It's not like somebody with a peanut allergy hanging out over the mixed nuts bowl at the holiday party. Yeah, going, you know, what could go wrong here? And not having your EpiPen, right. you know, type of deal. So. Yeah, just uh, slightly suspicious. I think there might be more. There might be more to this still to come. There's more to the story? I love it. And now you know the rest of the story. Well, no. you don't, actually. <laughs> I, was, I was just thinking, that'd be fun. And now you don't know the rest of the story. Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union can help you earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. 
Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you could start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal's savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Considering a big home improvement project, maybe you want to consolidate debt. Well, if you're thinking consolidation, that's part of your plan. You could borrow up to 100% of your home's equity with a fixed rate home equity loan with zero closing cost or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. What I like, you make your plan first and then you use the appropriate instrument to get you there. And Navy Federal has them. Both options could help make life's big expenses seem more manageable. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org at Navy Federal. Our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA. Equal housing lender. Membership required. Terms and conditions apply. Loan subject to approval.